What's up, Accelerators? Welcome to Normalize It, the show where we speak about and explore the business of disability inclusion and accessibility. I'm your host, Cam Baudouin, and on each episode, I'll be interviewing leaders, professionals, and people with lived experiences, and we'll be discussing the challenges, successes, and strategies on how to make this world a more inclusive place. As you know, many organizations are still trying to figure out disability inclusion through a trial and error method. That's inefficient. Stick around to the end of the show to find out how we can fix that. So whether you're an advocate, entrepreneur, business owner, stakeholder, VP, or just someone who's interested in the world of disability inclusion, this show is for you. Let's dive into it. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for pronouncing my name that way. That was beautiful. (laughs) I don't get to use much French on the show. One day someone's going to challenge me to do an entire episode in French. And I am terrified of that day. So when it comes, I'm going to be so freaked out. Um, we've got a really different show for everyone today because we're going to be having a lot more of like a back and forth dialogue. And this is in preparation for maybe a pairing up uh, for a conference coming up. Absolutely. Yeah. Fingers crossed Access U gets back to us and we'll be able to even continue this conversation during that show. I'm, I'm uh, fingers crossed. We're looking forward to it. If anyone from Access U is listening right now, just, you know approve that talk. Because uh, what we're going to be talking about today is advocacy. And I love something you brought up even in our show notes, which is being an entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur. What's all that about? Maybe we can even just start there. Sure. Yeah. So I feel that's kind of where my journey in accessibility started. Uh, before starting Scribly, I was working in book publishing uh, for a college textbook publisher. And I was on the digital side of things right when they were kind of making that transition from print to digital. So it was a really interesting time to be part of publishing. And as the years went by, um, it became more and more about accessibility and making that digital experience accessible. And I thought, well, that's so interesting to me. And the more that I got involved with accessibility, I joined a working group and I started to kind of speak up and find my voice within the organization. And it got to this point where I discovered, well, there are just so many problems to solve and I'm interested in solving them. Why don't I go to the other side of things and become an entrepreneur and start a business? Mm-hmm. And see, what I like about those two terms, even entrepreneur and entrepreneur, I always took entrepreneur as being someone who inside an organization, right? You may be part of a larger organization and you're being tasked with, you know, go do this accessibility thing, right? I, I know this is a big situation that happens in a lot of people. If, if that's you right now, if you are being tasked to just go figure this out, drop a comment right now, uh, put an emoji in there uh, because that was me. That was me back at a large consulting firm. I was told to just go figure this thing out. And I, I read the web content accessibility guidelines from top to bottom. And it was this, uh, this process to figure it out. But then becoming an advocate internally was so important. And I know you're big on branding. I want to hear your take of like what branding is all about and what personal branding is all about before I give my take. So why don't we start there as well? Sure. So that was more of an awkward transition for me. The part of being an accessibility advocate and solving problems and rolling up my sleeves, um, I could do that part. But then I kind of discovered, well, if you want to be the founder and CEO of a company, you also need to have a brand. And it's, to be honest, something I didn't really focus on. Um, I never really had a strong social media presence. Um, I got kind of nervous in networking situations, didn't do a lot of public speaking, and then I was just kind of thrown into all of it. And um, I discovered, wow, this is really important. I need to, I need to get this dialed in. It, since then, it's become a journey of finding my voice as a founder 
and building my network. And I've discovered this is absolutely critical to having a business that the your brand and your network need to be strong if you want to make an impact in accessibility. Yeah, definitely. And growing that network is something that I know many people struggle with. They are, uh, even me, I'm not big on social media. I actually don't have a Facebook account. My Instagram account is empty. I don't do anything on TikTok. I have nothing personal on social media. That's just never really been me. So for me to go and learn social media, to learn how it is to be a brand person or do marketing or things like that is is weird to me. I still, you know, when I create posts for social media, I still feel it's weird to see myself on camera and post even something like this show itself, which by the way, is celebrating its one year anniversary. We've been doing this show for one year now. It's still awkward to me to be able to like talk about myself in a way that's, uh, you know, promoting myself. Uh, so what, what were some of the like barriers that you encountered while you were trying to do this marketing or, or like, you know, real brand discovery of, of what you're doing? Yeah. One of the things that I felt was I'm getting into accessibility and nobody knows me mm -hmm. <laughs> in accessibility because I'd been working in book publishing for many years and I, I really cared about making a difference and starting a business and solving a problem, but I didn't have many contacts mm -hmm. in accessibility. And so uh, that was kind of a realization that I thought, well, that that could really put my business at risk. And, you know, I may not, not have as much success as I want to. So uh, I started slowly but surely reaching out to folks in accessibility, starting to follow influencers. And my thing is that I really love to have one-on-one -on -one conversations. That feels like me, um, feels like that, that goes really well. So I started just messaging people and coming from a genuine place of wanting to learn about the work that they're doing. And then, you know, also just start a dialogue on accessibility topics that we care about. I think that there are many ways to build your network. It doesn't have to just be um, social media. If that feels like it's not you, um, you can have one-on-one -on -one conversations or, you know, you can go to conferences. Maybe you're better in person. Um, and actually bumping into people and, and talking about accessibility. I think you have to find the the type of networking that works for you. Right. Uh, and, I, and I really like that because leaning into your strengths of how you like to do interpersonal like conversations or have interpersonal conversations is going to be better for you as a person as well. And also for your brand too. Uh, for me, I, I love doing in-person conferences. I actually worked really well when I do lunch and learn kind of events or just having those kind of like familiar conversations. It doesn't always have to be this, you know, hard sell kind of conversation either. But going back to building your network, because I think that's, I want to talk about that some more because I've spoken to many accessibility advocates, many accessibility uh, people who who are uh, struggling with having those internal conversations and finding your people, I thought was was hugely valuable. So maybe we can take this in two different directions. Number one is finding your network of other advocates and also finding people like clients who will actually listen to you. Maybe we start with the advocates first. How do you find your people? Yeah, so I started Scribely at an interesting time. It was January 2020. And I had grand plans to go out and, and meet people and travel, go to conferences and just have that FaceTime with people. And then of course, a few months later, everything changed. And so did my strategy for my first year in business. And that felt a little scary at first because my plan was just completely thwarted. But I really found my network on LinkedIn virtually, slowly but surely over time, 
continuing to reach out to people to comment on their posts, um, to start posting myself. I really credit LinkedIn for my first year in business and being able to make contacts. So I, that's where I kind of became a believer um, in social media where I never was before. Um, you don't always have to travel to build your network. Um, you can also do that virtually. Right. And some of the benefits of even having a larger network of people who are in the same industry as you are going to be things like job opportunities. I know for people who are not interested in becoming entrepreneurs, having those connections, other connections in our industry, lead accessibility advocate or lead accessibility engineer, director of accessibility, these roles exist. And our industry is pretty cool. All right. I don't think I've ever met anyone in our industry who would not be open to having a coffee chat or a conversation. And that is so important for us as uh, to find our people out there as well. And I'm telling you, large organizations, large organizations, Fortune 500 companies are willing to talk to other advocates as long as, as long as we don't waste their time, right? I mean, that's one thing I want to make sure that uh, everyone's time is important and to go and have those conversations is uh, coffee chats are, are open. I've reached out just to random people. <laughs> you, know, you probably have to. I've reached out to totally random other accessibility uh, directors of accessibility and said, hey, would you, be, I'm, this is who I am. Would you be open to having a conversation there? Yeah, absolutely. I've met some really, really neat people like that. Absolutely. As much as you can personalize that message to someone and really be intentional about reaching out, I think helps you, it helps them kind of pay attention. I, if I could go back, I would have started doing this years before. And, you know, not just when I started a business, when I started to become interested in accessibility, that would have been a good time to start joining the conversation and actively contributing. Whether you're you're inside an organization or you're thinking of starting your own business, developing an, an online presence, kind of connecting yourself to the topic that you're interested in as much as you can um, will just help you in the long run. Right. Now let's flip it over. Let's just say you are an entrepreneur or you do want to become an entrepreneur or maybe you're a consultant or something like that, right? Where you're, you know, your task to be to find growth or find new opportunities. Let's flip that over. How does your approach change to people who maybe are not in our industry and you got to go find clients or something like that? That's a big hesitation that a lot of people have as well. How do you approach that? Yeah. So um, this is something that you and I have talked, talked a lot about, um, not just going to accessibility conferences, going to other conferences and trying to um, start to understand the network of clients that are on your list that you're right. interested in working with. Um, so you can get an, uh, involved in associations. Um, that was something that was really helpful for me. Um, I joined the International Press Telecommunications Council, IPTC, um, got involved with changing the standards for photo metadata. Right. I also got more involved with the book industry study group. Um, so just joining the conversations of the clients that you want to work with can really help build your network outside of just accessibility. Right. That's something that's so big. And I've spoken to other advocates. In fact, I've got someone coming on the show, uh, Deborah Rue, in a couple of weeks, and she is great for that. Her and I have had long conversations talking about the same thing. We, as advocates, need to move beyond our own circles as well. And and that's intimidating, that's stressful, and that's, that's uncomfortable to many, many people. But if we're not going to go out to marketing conferences or developer conferences or uh, HR conferences, good ask, good, what are the good areas? Education, higher ed, uh, government, uh, transportation. You know, these are all conferences. It, by the way, here's a fun fact for anyone who doesn't know. On any given day, there are over 1,000 conferences going on at the same time. 
for anyone who's listening, it's like, oh, I can't find the people. There are over 1,000 conferences happening in the U.S. and on any given day. That is mind-blowing how many, how many conferences there are out there. But going to these conferences and networking and meeting people who have no knowledge of accessibility will give you an insight as to how to communicate accessibility better, how do you speak to with people who are really, um, who don't know anything about it. And it's surprising how, how many people are still unaware of what we do here. That's always been something that surprises me. Absolutely. Um, the conferences that I attended that were not accessibility oriented, I absolutely found that. They all seem to, to view the entire topic as niche, right? right? Which is interesting. That's almost the, the most common response I get. Oh, wow, that's such a niche business. How did you discover that? Right, <laughs> right, like, right. We have more work to do. We need to um, continue to raise awareness about accessibility. Right. And see, this is the reality of what people outside of our industry perceive this industry as. It's niche. It's small. No one really knows about it. It's it's a tiny thing. But the reality is that you know we need to go out there and start to broadcast this message even more. I want to go back to personal branding for a second here because your influence and what you're posting is something important as well. I have a take on this, but how much of your own personal branding, you know, like how niche down do you get in your personal branding? Like what do you post on? Uh, Maybe we start there as well. I'd say that I am a very casual person. I don't like to over formalize things. Actually, that makes me kind of nervous Mm -hmm. uh, to try to put that hat on and be very official with my voice. And uh, I think that I I generally just stick to posting about topics that I really care about, that I think are important, where I have a lot to say on that particular topic. And I don't post all that often, you know, once a week, maybe um, sometimes twice, but um, they're all around um, statements that I really and truly believe in, um, rather than just trying to um, force something just because it's on my social media schedule that I have to say something today. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to take the total opposite point of view here because I post every single day and I'm looking to create an influencer style, you know, movement, right? Because I think that the more content that I put out there, the more people who need to hear the message will respond to it. So when I see my numbers and we shouldn't be looking at the numbers, that's not how you track it. I mean, I still get posts that only have two or three likes and that's it, but it's a topic that I'm passionate about, which is the business of accessibility and the business of disability inclusion, which I think is such an important part of this. If the people who are watching, and I connect with lots of director and above of, of a lot of the, um, with a lot of titles like marketing, director of marketing, director of uh, sales, director of engineering, things like that. And if they, if I'm not approaching them in the way that they want to hear about it, which is that business point of view, then it's going to fall flat. And I, I feel like I need to post a lot to do that. What do you think about that? Actually, what, what's your, what's your uh, other take on um, how often you post and stuff like that? Yeah, I think it's more, I like to see it more as, um, getting your, your face out there, getting your voice out there in as many ways as possible. Um, so I often, you know, am seeking out speaking opportunities or, you know, opportunities to connect and train a team, mm-hmm. um, consult with um, prospective clients. Um, I think it could come in many forms. It's not just posting. It's just as many times as I can connect um, my name and my voice with the topic of content accessibility, right. alt text, audio description, captions, all of the work that we do, 
I'm out there on the web. And if you search, you might find, you know, all roads lead to to this. And that that just helps you in the long run. Yeah. And I think that's a great place to start to anyone who wants to create their own personal brand in our industry or beyond is that do a Google search of yourself and see what comes up. And you can put the double quotes around your full name, and that'll find many searches that that's very exclusive to your name. And here's a tip that I once learned. If your name is not unique, and I know there's lots of people, right, you know, whose names are not unique, then go and find it like a unique branded name for yourself. Uh, go become the accessibility guy or something like that, or <laughs> accessibility girl. Just, you know, name yourself something. I'm lucky. I'm Cam Baudouin. I'm the only one out there. And so if you search up my name, I've got I just did a search. I got 15 YouTube videos out there. Plus every single LinkedIn post that I've ever done is fully indexed by Google. I'm out there. And that was the goal I was trying to create so that when clients look for me, who is this guy who's messaging me out of the blue about accessibility on a Friday afternoon, they're going to find someone and, you know, legitimize uh, what, uh, what the message I'm trying to broadcast. What do you say to people who are looking for opportunities around speaking? Uh, where, how did you get started in that? Yeah, I just started tracking the conferences that I was really interested in attending, really thinking about my proposals and what would be really impactful at this conference. Um, you always have to think what's in it for everyone else, right? And that is a very good place to begin. Um, because then you're you're directly connecting to your audience. So it's not just about, I need to get speaking opportunities. I need to be out there at as many conferences as possible. Choose the ones where you really feel like you can make an impact in what you're saying. Right. And focusing on what, you know, don't go to uh, to an engineering conference and talk about, well, maybe, maybe you could talk about design, but what's in it for them, right? What's in it for the audience? What do they want to hear? I'm big on visiting conferences first and actually asking people, you know, what's, what's important to you? Because if, if we go out and assume a lot, then we're not going to get, uh, they're not going to resonate with our message. They're not going to listen to it and they're going to tune out. So I really believe in, you know, we got to ask a few more questions or, you know, experience that conference first. I mean, if you're invited to something, that's, that's one thing, but getting out there and getting this message heard by more people, uh, you got to tune it to the audience that, uh, that you're presenting to, uh, would you take a free conference? Uh, that's one big thing I keep hearing about in the world of professional speaking, uh, free gigs. Are they just as good as, as paid gigs? Sometimes it, it really just depends on the speaking opportunity. I've taken free gigs and paid gigs, and that's not really a barrier for me. It's more like, um, do I feel like this conference would open up possibilities um, for connecting with people? And I could see, and you know, can I see the value in right. that? So it it's not necessarily, oh, it doesn't always need to be a paid gig. Yeah. Right, right. Um, that's big for me too. I think that there are opportunities even if uh, the, the the event is not paid. And by the way, if anyone is interested in speaking, I'm more than happy to have a conversation with that about anyone. I am so big on professional speaking right now. And some trades that you can do if the, if the gig is not paid is you can get testimonials, video testimonials, or emails of the attendees. That's a really big one as well. Uh, all those kinds of assets, that, that feedback is really great because you can then reach out to other people and create those connections too. That That's a really big one. Um, what about scaling advocacy? Because that that's a lot of people find that, you know, I'm the only one who can do what I do. Uh, and, and you know, growing this uh, starts to become a big burden. I, I know advocates who work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and that burns them out uh, for more reasons than just the obvious one of working many hours. How do you scale our advocacy efforts? Right. Well, first of all, I've been wrestling with this 
with scalability from the beginning and had a lot of pushback about uh, my business idea, which was to essentially assemble a team of human writers that know how to describe images and have them write alt text. Right. <laughs> Very simple idea. And I liked the simplicity of that. I had looked into automated solutions and where they were at and not anywhere close to being able to describe, especially complex images like charts, diagrams, right. works of art, um, not even close. And so it felt like we need this team of writers that can own this. Mm -hmm. And the first response that I got back was, well, how are you going to scale that? Right. And I thought, but that's the solution for the problem. So someone needs to figure out how to scale this. You know, how can we, how can we make this work? We didn't always have technology solutions for absolutely everything. And it's not true that we need technology solutions right. for everything. That sometimes just doing the job right um, and doing it from the beginning, that's a form of scalability in and of itself. You don't have to go back and fix it because it's good quality and it's something that you can be proud of and it's part of your standard operating procedure moving forward. So scalability has always been an interesting topic for me in terms of advocacy because it felt like I was directly up against it. Right. I once heard someone say that you should start to think of yourself as an orchestrator. And at some point, like that is a form of scaling your business. And I really love that thought because an in an orchestra, right? A conductor, an orchestrator, they are as important to the production of everything as the individual member themselves. You can't have, you know, music without someone trying to coordinate everything. And that got me thinking about, you know, what is the business of advocacy? How does even myself as an entrepreneur, how do I grow this? Because I get asked that question as well. How do you scale? How do you grow bigger? Well, there are certain parts of my business that I can definitely give off to other people to help me out, which frees me up to go and find new clients, to grow the organization, to figure out, uh, to grow partnerships, to get sponsors for the show. There's ways that, you know, you can grow that doesn't have to be everything yourself. So what I liked about what you just said is that uh, scaling, you know, doesn't always have to be automated. I know that's kind of the instinct. That's the knee-jerk reaction, especially in the world of technology. How do we just, you know, use AI to figure all this out? Well, there's a time and place for that, right? And it may not be at the beginning. One more thing that struck me when you were talking was what sometimes you got to figure it out as you go. Right. You're not going to have that final solution right from the beginning. You're not going to be able to say, I know exactly at you know six months, I'll be able to start scaling this using automation and grow forward with that. Sometimes a lot of us are scared of going through the bumps in the road that is required in every single business to figure it out as you go along. What do you think about what I just said? I think there are so many ways I was wrong in the beginning. Um, just, you know, I was taking my best guess at which industries would be paying attention to accessibility mm -hmm. in 2020. I feel like I didn't get that right. right. Um, it wasn't, they weren't the folks that I thought would be, you know, the, my first clients. So I feel like you need to allow space to discover, to explore, to ask questions, to listen to others, and then connect your business idea to that. Because the ideas that you have in mind may not end up working out the way that you think. Right, right. So I think, uh, you know, just being flexible, being agile um, was really important for me. Scribly is a very simple business that, you know, I could I could stretch out the amount of time um, where, you know, we could explore and discover like that. Um, so I think that that's 
that's kind of how I, I directed the business forward was in direct response to the demand that I was seeing in the market mm -hmm. rather than um, going for, you know, my idea at the outset and fully committing to that. Sure. With that, I think we're going to wrap up the show. Kevin, any last words? No, no. Thanks so much for having me on, Cam. This is a great show. And I just love being a part of the accessibility conversation and meeting people. Wasn't that a great episode? You probably have lots of new ideas swirling through your head right now. Now, how are you going to go and teach that to your boss, your team, or your clients? You need a strategy to move forward. Contact me today, hi at cambodwine.com, and let's talk about how we can move this forward in your organization or individual practice. If you could right now, like and subscribe to this show, it really does help grow our reach to get more people involved and interested in disability inclusion and making the world a more inclusive place. And don't forget, you can also watch this show live on LinkedIn. Just find me there. It's every Friday at noon Eastern. See you next week.